This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is Romans 15, 14 through 33. It begins on page 949 in the Bibles in your rows, and will also find it printed in your bulletin. Romans 15. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except that Christ has a, what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power and signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illichrim, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written. Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on by my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achai have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what was, has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning again, everybody. My name is Brian Ferry. I'm one of the pastors here. And just fair warning, I was out last night with my guys playing music. Uh, the distillery, so my voice is torched. It's going to be, uh, it could be kind of rough this morning, um, but we'll see. Well, as a little declaration to begin, I want to tell you all that I have everything I need. Now, there are plenty of things that I want, and when I go to a store or the mall, I am all of a sudden shown hundreds and thousands of things that I didn't know that I wanted until I see them and am shown them, and then all of a sudden, I want them. But, but in this darkest reality, right, I have everything I need. I'm talking basics, that is food, clothing, shelter, etc. Back in school, you may have learned about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. For most of us, the big basic stuff that we've got taken care of, right? The stuff at the bottom of the pyramid. Things, uh, you know, we aren't spending every hour of every day foraging 
for food or hunting or preparing wood, storing food for the winter, trying to survive. More likely, we're experiencing the phenomenon standing in front of the stuffed refrigerator and saying, there's nothing to eat. Or on our phones, scrolling through the endless Netflix and YouTube and social media saying, there's nothing to watch. We find ourselves listless. No wind in our sails. There's a great French word for this, ennui, which I think is translated in English as meh. (laughs) That feeling of listlessness, general dissatisfaction that comes from a, a lack of activity or excitement or purpose. We find ourselves listless, dissatisfied. With all of our basic needs taken care of, we're left asking questions, dealing with the the top of Maslow's pyramid, questions of self-actualization, meaning and purpose. We ask the question, what on earth am I here for? Or as the 90s Cincinnati band, the Psychodots, sang, there's got to be more to life than this. And I realize the Psychodots is a really deep cut. Does anybody even know who that is? (laughs) There's like two of us. Uh, Or, you know, as the band Switchfoot put it, you know, we were meant to live for so much more. Have we lost ourselves? Yes, John Foreman, we have indeed lost ourselves. We are meant to live for so much more. We've got the food, the shelter, and the clothing, so we try fancier food, and we redo our kitchens and bathrooms every couple years, and we trade out our clothes for the new season's fashion, and yet we feel the nag. There has to be more to life than this. Just to look at the popularity of Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, from back in the early 2000s, should tell us that we too often find ourselves stuck on the question, what on earth am I here for? The book sold over 50 million copies in 85 languages. It's a book about purpose. As Jamie Smith says in his book, You Are What You Love, to be human is to be for something, directed towards something, oriented towards something, some end for which we were created. As Christians, our end, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We are a called people, a people with a purpose. We all have what's been called a vocation. And here's how author and pastor Frederick Buechner describes it. He says, vocation comes from the Latin vocar, to call. And it means the work a person is called to by God. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. It's a beautiful thought, isn't it? Unfortunately for us, this morning we get to look at a man who finds himself right there in that place where his deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And I'm talking about the Apostle Paul, which is probably obvious if you've been playing along at home or following along these last couple few months. Now, if you're like me, you might assume that these last couple chapters of Romans are sort of an afterthought without much for us. Maybe thinking that all the good stuff is past, right? The meaty doctrine in chapters 1 through 12. And then the the challenging practical stuff about how to live out our faith in chapters 12 through 14. And then 15 and 16 are just kind of the stuff you skim through in the Bible reading plan. However, what we get here in chapter 15 isn't leftovers, Maybe a little bit different kind of writing, but what we get is a picture of Paul's heart, his missional heart. Throughout this remembering series, we've been looking at what kind of community God is making us to be. A worshiping community, a serving community, a loving community, a welcoming, hopeful, diverse, edifying community, and so on. And this morning, we're looking at Paul's missional heart so we can see how we can become a missional 
community. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at seven aspects of Paul's missional heart and what that means for our church family. Now, what that means is this is kind of like a seven-point sermon. Now, don't turn me in. Don't tell anybody that it's seven points. I could probably get defrocked for it not being like a three-point sermon. Uh, and don't worry. Seven points kind of equals out to three because I, I talk faster than the other guys. I have to say twice as much for a sermon. I have to say twice as much for a sermon half as good. So firstly, some of y'all get that later. Um, firstly, we see that Paul's heart is a priestly heart. We read this, the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. Priest, you say? Well, even way back in Exodus, God tells his people that they are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the apostle Peter uses the same language when he writes to the church. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a kingdom of priests. This is a church full of ministers, every one of us. This priestly calling involves worship and witness. Sometimes worship and witness or mission are pitted against one another. As you have to be for worship and, or for mission, and they have to be separate. They can't be for both. But worship and witness happen not only simultaneously sometimes, but also have a, a symbiotic relationship. God is seeking worshipers, what Jesus said. Father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So part of our priestly duty is to worship. We worship and then we are called to go out on mission. And as we go out, others come to know Jesus through exposure to God's word and God's people, maybe here in worship, maybe in a community group or through friendships or whatever. And then they worship and then they are sent out as witnesses on mission. Worship and witness feed each other and lend themselves to the other. All right, we need to move on. There's seven of these. But from Paul's priestly heart, we learn that uh, as a missional community, we are all priests, church full of priests, a kingdom of priests. Secondly, we see that Paul's heart is Jesus-centered. Verse 16, we see he's a minister of Christ Jesus. Verse 17, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. And in verse 18, I won't venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Listen to how he puts it. As he writes to the Corinthian church, he says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing except Christ. I think Pastor Josh mentioned a couple weeks ago that for Paul, the central idea in all of Paul's theology and writings can be summed up in two words, in Christ. Over 160 times, Paul uses that phrase. To be a Christian, in essence, is to be in Christ. It's all about Jesus from start to finish with Paul and what he's accomplished for the kingdom of Jesus. The content of the gospel is Jesus. Wherever he traveled, whatever he was doing, Paul was centered on Jesus and Jesus alone. Can we say like Paul when he wrote to the Philippians, whatever I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. From Paul's missional heart, we learn to be Jesus-centered, knowing nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul's Jesus-centered and spirit-fueled. 
Paul's clear where the power comes from. It's the Holy Spirit who sanctifies. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers the signs and wonders that he does. It's the Holy Spirit who enables his words and deeds. Paul's mission is centered on Jesus, and it's fueled by the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will give us the words we ought to say at the very hour that we need them. The Holy Spirit is called our teacher, our advocate, our counselor. Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit in his letter to the Galatians, which we just talked about in our fall men's Bible study on Friday. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Where do all these qualities come from? They come from the Holy Spirit. Everything Paul does, word and deed, it's all fueled by the Spirit. And we too ought to rest in the truth that it is the Spirit's work that is effective. We do what we can do, trusting the Spirit to do the work. Elsewhere, Paul uses the metaphor of planting and watering. As priests, as God's ministers, his servants, what do we do? Well, he said some of us plant, some of us water, and God causes the growth. We don't have to play junior Holy Spirit. We don't have to whip ourselves up into a frenzy trying to control outcomes. When we find ourselves exhausted, burnt out on serving, we feel like our reserves are spent. We have fuel for holy living in a God who we can trust with the outcomes. Paul's mission, our mission, is fueled by the Holy Spirit. Now there's this phrase here in verse 19. It says, by the power of signs and wonders. You know, signs point to things. Right? And in this case, to the power of God and the authenticity of the gospel and God's mercy and love for his people. So there's the signs that point to something. And then there's the wonders, which is kind of how the people reacted. Right? They reacted with wonder. And so a brief aside about miracles or signs. Miracles can happen today. To deny that would be to deny God. However, here and in scripture, the miracles of Jesus and the apostles were specific to Jesus being the Son of God, and to the apostles being apostles. There's a lot more that could be said about this, but here's John Stott. He says this. That's really small. <laughs> just, just listen. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. This is an eye test, an eye exam. Uh, this combination of words and works, the verbal and the visual, is a recognition that human beings often learn more through their eyes than through their ears. Words explain works, but works dramatize words. The public ministry of Jesus is the best example of this. And after his ascension into heaven, he continued to do and to teach through his apostles. It would be wrong to conclude, however, that works means only miracles. One of Jesus' most powerful visual aids was to take a child into his arms. And one of the early churches was their common life and their care for the needy. Paul's only other use of these three words, power, signs, and wonders, is in relation to his ministry in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, where he calls them the things that mark an apostle. This is not to deny that God can perform miracles today. It is rather to acknowledge that their chief purpose was to authenticate the unique ministry of the apostles. So for us today, still, works dramatize words. Jesus said that the world will know we are Christians by our extraordinary love for one another. There should still be a wonder at the words and works of God's people fueled by the Spirit. It's just probably not going to be signs or miracles in that sense. Right? And if we think about the task of loving God with our heart, 
whole heart, soul, mind, and strength in loving our neighbor as ourselves, starting with those neighbors who live in our own household and right closest to us, we can quickly see the mercy of God in providing the Holy Spirit as fuel for this work of life and mission. Well, next we see Paul's heart is global and multicultural. In this passage, Paul names a number of places, Jerusalem, Illyricum, now it's Albania today, former Yugoslavia. He names Macedonia, Achaia, northern and southern Greece, and then Spain. You know, in seminary, I took an exam where I had to draw Paul's missionary journeys. For whatever reason, my brain does not work this way. You probably have one of these maps in your Bible. Well, I didn't do so hot on the test. Part of it is because Paul was all over the place. Fortunately, there are plenty of maps of Paul's journeys around. You can find these. He traveled probably 10,000 miles all across the Mediterranean, back and forth, and ministering to all kinds of people. And Paul puts them and kind of calls them two categories, Jews and Gentiles, right? His calling, his vocation was for the Gentiles. With the great commission of Jesus to go into all nations and to the ends of the earth, any limitations on who could come to follow Jesus were blown away. Anyone, everyone was now invited. And Paul took that idea and ran with it, traveling all over the known world at the time. And what this means was that the church was becoming and is becoming increasingly diverse and global. We've been reading about some of the challenges of that in these last couple chapters of Romans, right? I mean, what does it mean when people who are different start coming around? How do we function in community when some of us have serious differences and viewpoints and perspectives? Paul was dealing with this, and we're wrestling with this too, right? Not only in our local communities, but as we interact with ministries across the world. As the world becomes smaller, our big C church is becoming more and more connected, more global, more diverse. And the, the global growing edge of Christianity for the last 25 years or more has been in the global south and east. There's a lot of fear that Christianity is dying, but it's really only among Western white people that that's the case. It's growing leaps and bounds in the global south and east. Tim Keller has noted that there are more Presbyterians in the African country of Ghana alone than in the United States and Scotland combined. There are six times more Anglicans in Nigeria than in the United States. Korea in the last century has grown from 1% Christian to over 40% Christian just in a century. The church is global and multicultural and ever increasingly so. There's beauty and power in the connectedness of the global diverse and multicultural church. Here at New City, we have the joy of partnering with ministries in other parts of the world. Just a few are Partners India, working in Madhya Pradesh and North Central India. Back to back is headquartered here in Cincinnati with a ministry in town, but also outposts in Mexico and Nigeria and Haiti and India. We support ministries in London, the Czech Republic, Kenya, Japan, and of course, Pastor Ryan's seminal work with China Partnership. Paul's missional heart is for a global and multicultural church. And ours ought to be as well. You know, we would love to see more missionaries raised up to go to the ends of the earth. We've sent missionaries from this church, and we would love to send more. We'd also love to see more ethnicities and cultures represented here at our church, reflecting more of the reality of the kingdom with people from every tribe and language. So we also see here that Paul's heart for the gospel and for mission is expanding. He says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone's foundation. Smart scientists say that the universe is ever expanding. Here's one 
quote about it. It says, the galaxies outside our own are moving away from us, and the ones that are farthest are moving fast. And not only is our universe ever expanding, but apparently it's ever expanding at an ever-increasing rate. Now, to be honest, I cannot even begin to wrap my head around this, but it's the same thing is true in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is an ever-expanding, growing, developing, moving outward at an ever-increasing rate. So the universe sort of mimics or mirrors what God's doing with his kingdom. Jesus used the metaphor of yeast, right? The kingdom is like a little bit of yeast that leavens all the dough and it expands and it spreads. Some of you are really familiar with yeast after a year and a half of bread baking during this time. But listen to how Paul describes the gospel in Colossians 1. He says, The gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. It's expanding. Bearing fruit and increasing, ever expanding. Paul was focused on this pioneering ministry from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Paul talks about heading to Spain here in Romans 15. For him, this would have been the ends of the earth. It's off the charts. Paul's missional heart knows that the kingdom of God is ever expanding and that he gets to be a part of that expansion. He is a gospel pioneer. Here's what Tim Keller says about this. He says, even in the early stage of the Christian church, many preachers preferred to take and build up people who had already been evangelized and discipled by someone else. But Paul's passion was to go into places where no one had heard the gospel at all. He wanted the hardest ground to plow in, the people who were the farthest from the faith. So Paul's evangelistic strategy was to plant new churches in the largest cities among the most confirmed and pagan unbelievers. It's been said that the church is the only organization that exists for the sake of non-members. It's because it's expanding. Now, even as the church is increasingly global and multicultural, and we would love to see missionaries raised up and sent out from New City, there is plenty of room for the kingdom to expand right here, right where you are. There are unreached people groups all over the place. Could be some neighbors, some folks at work. Maybe it's a group of folks who have a hobby that needs someone to be with them and demonstrate and share the gospel. And I was a swimmer when I was a kid, and I always loved playing water polo. I never played competitively just for exercise and fun. And one year when the Olympics were on, I was watching water polo, and I decided, like, to see if there's anybody in Cincinnati who's playing water polo. And sure enough, there's an adult water polo league that plays over at Keating Natatorium at St. X. And guess when they play? Only and ever, every Sunday morning. <laughs> so I can't, I can't be involved uh, reaching the water polo players of Cincinnati. But regardless of whether it's water polo players or runners or craft beer enthusiasts, radio-controlled airplane pilots, board gamers, skeet shooters, whatever, there's opportunities for, to get involved in people groups that we can enter into for the sake of Jesus and the gospel and its continuous expansion. Well, second to lastly, Paul's missional heart is generous. We read here, he says, for Macedonia and Achaia, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. Nothing seems to have captured Paul's attention like this collection for the poor. It comes up five different times in his writings. Now, we're not told why they are poor, how they became poor, whether they deserved it or not, how much the collection was, or anything like that. We don't know a whole lot of details about it. We do know that it seems to have exceeded Paul's expectations. We can read about that in 2 Corinthians 8. 
We do know that folks from all over contributed, setting aside money each week so that it would be ready when Paul came through town. In any case, Paul's heart is geared toward generosity, and in this case, specifically generosity for the poor. We try to do this as a church as well. We encourage you to be generous. We take a bit offering every week and we make it easy for you to give online regularly. And we as a church family want to be generous as well. We've been extremely fortunate through the generosity of you all to have had a budget surplus every year. And we don't take this for granted. We know that we very well may not be the case uh, forever ad infinitum. But as a way of demonstrating our gratitude and generous missional heart, we give away a good chunk of that surplus every year. For instance, just this past year in July, after we closed out the the fiscal year, we were able to give $5,000 to Redeemer New Orleans uh, to help restore uh, people after the storm, the most recent storm. We gave several thousand dollars to Lydia's house, a shelter for women uh, and families here in the neighborhood. We were able to give $1,000 to Afghan refugees through a connection that Stacey Feagans, our nursery director, has. So we want to demonstrate that and model that as well as a church. And our deacons model a generous missional heart with our deacons fund. They're charged with eliminating needs within the church family and alleviating needs out in the community. Our desire is that no one in the church family should be in need. So our deacons want to help eliminate those needs. So if you have a need or know of a need, please let one of our deacons know. We are glad to help. We have the money set aside for that purpose. And on a current example of an opportunity to be generous is with our Christmas store. As Mike mentioned, it's happening December 11th. So you can shop, stock, or serve. If you're here and you can use help this year, buying Christmas gifts for your family, you can sign up to shop. It's $7 per child, and that purchases a toy and a clothing item. If you want to give, you can help stock the store take an ornament off a tree or use the uh, registry online through the church center. And then on December 11th, we kind of need all hands on deck and all kinds of helpers from hosts to musicians to rappers, the rapper, the kind, the rappers that rap presents, not the rappers that we, if you want to bust some rhymes, we'll put, we'll put you to work. We'll figure that out. Some Christmas flow. All right. um, But when you give to the ministry of this church, it not only pays the bills, and salaries and such, but it goes to local ministries outside the walls of the church. It goes to the Deacon's Fund to support ministries around the world. Just as we encourage all of us here to give 10% of our income to the church as a starting point, as an organization, we give away more than 15% of what comes in. As God has been generous to us, so we are to be generous with others. Lastly, seventhly, Paul's missional heart is prayerful. Paul begins almost all of his letters with how he's praying for the recipients. And here in verse 30, Paul says, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Strive with me, he says. Now this should tip us off that prayer is not easy. It involves striving, effort. Paul says, I'm praying and it's not easy. Join the struggle, pray with me. As a missional community, we want to be praying, praying without ceasing, as it says in 1 Thessalonians part of pretty much all of our gatherings like community groups and Bible studies, includes a time of sharing prayer requests and praying for one another. And notice here, Paul includes very specific prayer requests, not just general pray for me. Very specifically, he says what he needs. He asks for prayer that he may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that his service for Jerusalem 
may be acceptable to the saints. So here's three quick, ruthlessly specific things you can do as a step to, toward living out a prayerful missional heart. First, we can pray for our missionaries. You know, our, we've got folks out there doing work in other lands, hard work away from home. There's a group on our church center dedicated to sharing updates from our local and global partnerships. If you go to groups and you're poking around there, go to affinity groups and it's called local and global partner updates. And so then you can be in the loop about what's happening with our ministry partners. And then when you get that list of very specific prayer requests, pray for them. Secondly, you can share your prayer requests with us. Paul is not shy about sharing what he needs prayer for. He shares about the hard stuff he's going through. He's facing opposition. And he seems to be concerned about being caught by his persecutors in Judea. And then there seems to be some concern about being rejected by the saints in Jerusalem. So share your needs with us. Do that with the groups that you're in for sure. You can also share it via the church center. There's a prayer request button that you can tap and submit your prayer request. It'll be private if you want. We will actually pray for you if you do that. And then thirdly, you can sign up for the monthly prayer canopy. Once a month, we take a day to pray for our city. You sign up for a particular hour throughout the day, and the prayer canopy organizers uh, provide a prayer guide. It's a way to participate in the missional heart of prayer for God's kingdom to come in our city. So that's a lot there. A missional community were to be priestly, Jesus-centered, spirit-fueled, global and multicultural, expanding, generous, and prayerful. You know, we're not just a social club. We're not a closed society. We aren't just a philanthropic organization. We aren't a country club. We aren't just a civic volunteer service organization. We aren't just a charity. We're not a wedding chapel, event space, or a coffee shop. This church is a missional community, a church of family of beggars rescued, redeemed, and restored by Jesus on a mission, on a mission from God. One pastor has said, the church exists for mission, not for comfort. The kingdom of God is expensive, inconvenient, and dangerous. Kingdom of God, living on mission is expensive, inconvenient, and dangerous. But it's exactly what we're here for. Which made me think of Jim Elliott this week. When I was around 19 or 20, I heard his famous quote. It goes like this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I love it because it's kind of a, a riff off of Jesus' saying that if you want to give up your life, you need to lay it down, give it up. It's not foolish to give up something in this life to gain the kingdom. Anyway, Jim Elliott was a missionary killed on the mission field by the people he was trying to reach, demonstrating like the Apostle Paul that the missional effort is expensive, inconvenient, and sometimes dangerous. But it's the glorious task that we're called to, where our deep gladness and the world's greatest hunger meet. We are indeed meant to live for this. So may God continue to grow us into a priestly, Jesus-centered, spirit-fueled, increasingly diverse, expanding, generous, prayerful bunch of saints here at New City. Let me pray for us. Merciful God, we confess that we too often succumb to a false gospel of ease, comfort, safety, security, homogeneity, and yet we know that you are quick to forgive us. You love to receive us, encourage us, empower us to get back to the task of making your love manifest in our world. May your kingdom be ever coming and expanding through our little church here in this neighborhood. Make us into a church family of priests. Make us each a minister to our block, to our coworkers, our fellow students, our household, our friends and loved ones and everyone we meet. 
Keep us fueled by your Holy Spirit, not relying on our own strength, but on your power and your work and your good providence. Keep us focused and centered on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. May all that we do spotlight Jesus Christ and him crucified. Continue to provide for us. We're grateful for the generosity expressed to us in the gospel and grateful that you provide for the needs of this church through the generosity of your people. Let us strive in prayer for one another, for this church and for your kingdom to be coming here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.